I would uh, turn ask you to turn your attention to God's Word, the passage that Pastor Dave read a few moments ago in Peter's first letter to these Asian Christians. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to talk to you about this command of God that keeps popping up both in Old and New Testaments, that we are to be holy because... He, God, is holy. Peter, in writing to these Christians in verse 13 of chapter 1, says, Therefore, you are, as followers of Christ, you are to prepare your minds for action. You are to be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. I want to pause just there for a moment before we go on. As he who called you is holy, so we are to be holy in all we do. Now, the thing that you need to understand is that God is not just holy. But according to the vision that Isaiah had, in, uh, which is recorded in Isaiah chapter 6, there's that stunning statement as Isaiah sees the temple filled with the train of God, smoke and fire and thunder and angels. We are told that God is not just holy, but that He is holy, holy, holy. That He is totally separate. He is totally other. He is far bigger than any of us could ever imagine. This God we serve is not just a holy God, but He is holy, holy, holy. It's interesting to me that of all the descriptions we have of God, God is love, or God is patient, or God is long-suffering, or God is merciful. Nowhere do you see in Scripture that God is merciful, 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 or God is love, 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 or God is patient, patient, patient. But over and again, this thread of Scripture from Old to New Testament, we see that God is holy, holy, holy. It would be like taking uh, your mouse and clicking on the word holy and dragging it across and highlighting it and, and putting it in bold and putting it in 72 font. God is holy, holy, holy. And what Peter is saying to these Christians is that as the one who has called you is holy, 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 so you need to be holy in all you do, for it is written, be, be holy because, be holy because I am holy. Os Guinness, a, a modern theologian that uh, I've come to know and appreciate his thoughts and writings on the Word of God, has said something I think very important. He said that beliefs have consequences. Beliefs have consequences. That, that goes along with kind of this theme that I've, I've gotten on here, that we are not to only be hearers of the Word, but that we are to put our faith into action, that we are to be doers, so that what we believe about God and what we believe about faith and what we believe about salvation and what we believe about heaven, that all of those beliefs have a set of consequences that are attendant with them. 
That means that if we really believe something, then it has to begin to show up in our behavior, in our actions. Now, we believe here that the Word of God has called us to lead a holy life, to be holy because He is holy. And if you read the Bible, you'll discover that the message of Scripture uh, uh, points out again and again and again that as followers of Jesus Christ, you and I are to pursue holiness. Now, I know that that word has some negative connotations in our world today. Uh, in the linguistic sphere, we've kind of taken that word and, and we've made it a word of derision. And so we talk about holy rollers or holy smoke or holy cow. But this word holy is, is a, a sacred word. It means to be cut. It means to be separate. God is separate from us. He is the creator. We are the creatures. He is He is infinite. We are finite. He is holy. We are sinners saved by grace. But the Scripture says that we are to be holy as God is holy. Be holy because I am holy. And we cannot ignore this divine command. We can't escape from it. We can't run away from it. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are called to be holy people. Listen to what Paul said to the Thessalonians in chapter 4. He said, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That word is a big theological word that which simply means you are to be holy. You are to be set apart. That you are to be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Paul continues, The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but God has called us to live a holy life. I don't think you can argue with God's Word. We are called to be holy. And if Os Guinness is right that our beliefs have consequences, then I believe the consequence of this is, how do we learn to live a holy life? How do we live in this ungodly, unholy world? Would you agree it is? How do we, as Christians, as followers of Christ, live in this ungodly, unholy world and not conform? So we we, we need to become nonconformists, not conform to the image, the values of this world. I think that's the challenge of the Christian life. That once we are saved, justified, made free, sin forgiven, name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, we become children of God. How do we live a holy life so that our lives are distinct, different, separate from the image of the world as a nonconformist? And I think that that's the challenge, at least for me, and I'm sure it is for some of you as well. And we know, all of us do, either from our own experience or the experience of others, that this command to be holy like God seems at times to be absolutely impossible. And it seems to me that as 
the heat is turned up, and as our world becomes more and more corrupt and immoral, that this thundering call to holiness in the Scriptures grows louder and louder in our hearts. Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, it seems to me that there are only three possible responses to this command to be holy. And the fact is that every one of us in this room right now is in the throes of that particular response. No one is immune from being in the throes of one of these three responses. The first response to this command to be holy, I think, is to just give up and quit trying the impossible. It's, it's too unreachable. It's unattainable. How can we ever be holy like God is holy? So some people just give up and they quit trying. Moments ago, Gary and Shelley brought their, their daughter Larkin to be dedicated to the Lord. A sweet little bundle of joy. So innocent. So seemingly harmless. But it won't be long. Gary and Shelley, it won't be long before Larkin will begin to exert uh, a spirit of independence and rebellion and display a mind of her own. Now, I don't expect it from Larkin, uh, as you presented her today, but we acknowledge the sad reality that in our sinful world today, that some of the world's innocent children like Larkin will grow up to be rapists and murderers and drug pushers and skid row alcoholics. That is the fact. That is reality. For a number of years now, I, I have joined together with some of our church's Gideons in leading a chapel for the inmates at the Erie County Prison over on Ash Street in our city. I, it's been a meaningful ministry. I've enjoyed getting to know some of the inmates and hearing their stories and talking to them. To tell you the truth, uh, a lot of them are very unholy people. Prostitutes, thieves, drug dealers, wife beaters, child abusers, crooks. And as I sit there in those chapel services from time to time, there's a question that keeps coming back to my mind. How did this person, how did he get like this? Because once that man who's now in prison, once he was somebody's little boy, running in the fields, playing ball. Once he was a tender child, so impressionable, wet cement. How did that inmate get to be like this? How did he turn out to be so wicked and unholy? How did evil get such a hold on him? I asked the same question about the children of Israel who heard God speak audibly to them at Mount Sinai. I mean, can you imagine what that experience must have been like to hear the voice of God? How could the children of Israel ever forget the thunder and the lightning and the trumpet sounds and the supernatural smoke and the violent earthquake, the cosmic voice of Almighty God? How could they forget it? How could the children of Israel turn out to be such vile, wicked, adulterous and unholy people? For six days, they had seen the glory of God. 
I want to say to you, friends, that if we saw just for a moment a glimpse of God's glory, we would be overwhelmed. What our churches need, what this church needs, what I need, what you need, is a glimpse of God's glory. It would forever change us and transform us. But the children of Israel saw the glory of God for six days. Then 40 days later, those very same people who had seen God's glorious majesty had fallen prostrate on the ground because of a golden calf. And they danced around a golden calf, worshiping a dead idol, played, fornicated, caroused, totally corrupted. 40 days, 40 days from heaven to hell. How quickly they turned away from God. And God's command to be a holy people. There was nothing like it in the history of the world. In just 40 days, the children of Israel had gone from being a holy people to a totally corrupt people. And even Aaron, the high priest, was not immune. He had seen, he had been with Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. And he saw the God of Israel. And even Moses, the high priest, became spiritually bankrupt. How is it that a person who could actually see the glory of God turn away so quickly and, and, and mold a golden calf and build an altar to it and invite all of Israel to fall down and worship it? The reason for this sudden rebellion goes back to Mount Sinai, back to that thundering voice, back to God's command, be holy because I am holy. You see, I believe that behind all spiritual rebellion, listen to me, behind all spiritual rebellion is an anger toward God for making what we believe are impossible demands. For days, the Israelites sat brooding in their tents, full of fear of a holy God who had put this unmanageable command upon them. And I can just imagine them moving from tent to tent, gathering in small groups and venting their anger. How can God expect us to live up to this demand? How can we be a holy people? How can we be like God? And then someone in the crowd says the unthinkable. Well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to refuse. I'm going to refuse to... To serve this God who makes such impossible demands, I'm just going to quit. And soon the rebellion spreads like wildfire and all over the camp of, of Israel, you can just see people dropping, quitting, giving up. What's the use? We'll never make it. We're too weak. We're too sinful. How can God expect us to be a holy people? It's too hard. And I think that there are people today in 2007 that, that are, are mad at God. They're angry because God has brought them into a particular wilderness, into a wilderness of temptation and, and sin, and then imposes upon us this impossible demand to be holy. And so they quit. And I see evidences of, of Christian people just quitting in this striving toward Holiness. Just give up. It's, it's impossible. And they give in to their own weak, fleshly, carnal nature. That's one response. Another response to God's demand for holiness is to do your dead level best. 
to really try to, to meet God's command. Pain, suffering, superhuman effort exerted by well-meaning people to try to make themselves holy. The Apostle Paul said of these people who were, who were striving through their own self-effort, he said in Romans chapter 10, verses 2 and 3 about the children of Israel, he said, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is a misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, speaking of, uh, of the Jews, refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. The problem is not just with the children of Israel. The problem is with us in our modern world today, that we've got this mistaken notion that somehow through our own self-effort, our own human striving, that we can make ourselves holy and good enough and make ourselves acceptable to God. We want to be holy, and so we try to obey God through sheer willpower. We hear the Bible instruct us to, to shun the very appearance of evil, to resist the devil, and he will flee. Lay aside the sin that easily besets you. Put off the old man and its evil desires. Yield not to temptation. We hear all of these commands, and we say, okay, I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps, and I'm going to, through sheer human willpower, I'm going to make myself holy. And so there are people who who in their effort to make themselves holy, give up things. When I was a kid, I was raised and, and grew up in, in a, what was called a, the holiness movement. And, and our idea of, of holiness was that in order to be holy like God is holy, well, well you give up things. So you, you give up smoking and you give up dancing and you give up cards and you give up going to the movie theater. It, it wasn't at a fashion, an effort to be holy like God is holy. The problem is that it very easily and quickly moves from a good intention to a legalistic trap. And so when I was a kid, the, the, the word was, among us boys, we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go with girls who do. And there were rules. That if you wanted to be holy, there were rules that you needed to follow. And so when I was a child, the rule for women was short hair is a no-no. Short hair is an unholy thing. How many of you remember that? Yeah, some of you do. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. And so the, the good ladies in the little country church I had would wear a, a holy bun at the back of their head. I, I think I've told you my grandmother who, who wore a bun, she always had a kind of a, a strained look on her face. I think it was because her hair was pulled so tightly that she had kind of a surprised look about her. She did that because she thought that somehow through her own striving she could become holy like God is holy. When I was a teenager, the, the rule on hair was, for guys, long hair is unholy. And so uh, we had to make sure that, 
The hair was above the collar and above the ear and all the rest. And you were a real rebel if you let your hair grow down over your ears. Again, we had this mistaken notion that somehow through our own striving and our own effort, we could be holy. Some people try to please God by fasting or praying or, or pleading with Him, take away all my evil desires. And again and again, we make promises to God only to break them later. Sometimes through superhuman efforts, we can go for a, a day or a week or a month or possibly longer. But then the victory is lost, and down they go, tempted, defeated, left in despair. Why? Because unless individuals like you and me submit to the righteousness, the holiness of Christ, by faith, all of our superhuman effort is absolutely in vain. It is empty. The Scripture says that our righteousness is like filthy rags when compared to the righteousness of God because He is holy, holy, holy. I believe that God despises every one of our human efforts to be holy when it's done in our own strength. I believe that God despises every book and every sermon and every plea that calls men and women to a life of holiness through man-made rules and adherence to a set of rules and traditions. Church history is filled with ridiculous ideas on how to become holy. I've read of monks who slept on bundles of thorns and piles of broken glass. Others bound one foot, hopping around on one foot until they lost the use of their other foot. One man supposedly stood for 30 years on top of a column, and when too weak to stay there on top of that column, he had a post erected and he was chained to it, all to become holy. In the Middle Ages, in church history, there were long parades of flagellants who traveled from country to country, moaning and weeping and singing sad songs of repentance and weeping them, whipping themselves and their bare backs as they marched from country to country, all in an effort to become holy. And I know that we kind of, in this 21st century, we kind of look at it and we say, oh, isn't that foolish? What a foolish set of behavior that is. But we're just as guilty. We simply have invented modern ways to create holiness. Friends, the kingdom of God is not about the length of your hair, your sleeve, or your skirt. It's not about movies or dancing or cards. When holiness is defined exclusively in terms of external things, the whole point of the Bible's teaching is lost. But we can go on foolishly thinking, wanting to make the kingdom of God a matter of external things. But it is absolute foolishness. R.C. Sproul in his classic work called The Holiness of God, if you've not read it, you should read it. You should memorize it. R.C. Sproul says this, When we major in minors, and don't we, and blow insignificant trifles out of proportion, we imitate the Pharisees. 
When we make dancing and movies the test of spirituality, we are guilty of substituting a cheap morality for a genuine one. We do these things to obscure the deeper issues of righteousness. Anyone, Sproul writes, can avoid dancing or going to movies. These require no great effort of moral courage. What is difficult is to control the tongue, to act with integrity, to reveal the fruit of the Spirit. This is what holiness is about. Abiding in Christ. It's not through our own effort, but it's abiding in Christ and allowing His fruit to be born in our life. It's getting to know God more through Christ. And as we see the standard of Christ and we want to be made more like Him, that God works His holy ways in us. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 9, I want to be found in Him not having my own holiness, which is of works, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Be holy because I am holy. So you can quit and give up and say it's just impossible. There's no way that I can reach this unattainable standard. Or you can try to strive to make yourself holy through human efforts. Or there's one more response. Remember I said that every one of us in this room fits into one of these three categories. The third and final response is, to God's demand for holiness, is to surrender. To surrender to the holiness of Christ. Romans 3 and 21 says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is revealed, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no distinction, being made justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God has revealed to us an absolutely sure way for us to be able to meet up to this command, be holy because He is a holy God. Whereby all of us as followers of Christ can live in absolute peace and joy, knowing God, knowing that God looks upon us as pure and unblameable. And friends, this is all a free gift, even as the gift of salvation was. God's gift of holiness is not given out as a reward for our good behavior. God's gift of holiness is unearned and undeserved, even as our salvation is. It is an outright gift. God's holiness is given to those who do not work for it. You see, God does an amazing thing. He declares sinners like you and me. He declares sinners to be holy in His sight if they have faith in Christ. Some argue, well, I know that becoming holy is humanly impossible, but, but with God's help, all things are possible, and therefore, uh, I can make it, I can be holy if God will just help me. I'll do my best, and then when I need it, God can give me a little boost, and then I'll be okay. It's absolutely wrong, dead wrong. We cannot be holy even with God's help. We cannot in our own human strength be holy even with God's help. This is the dilemma that so many Christians are in today. They pray, oh God, I'm trying so hard. 
to meet up to your standard. God, aren't you moved by my efforts to be holy? Don't you see how hard I'm fighting to stay pure? God, why don't you come with some special power to help me in this struggle? And we have this mistaken notion that God should be impressed by our puny efforts. He is not. We expect God to be standing by applauding us for our human striving, by our hard work, eager to pick us up when we fall. We assume that God is pleased with all the struggling and the fighting against sin and the resistance of temptation. But God is not interested at all in Christians that in themselves do battle against sin. He's not interested in patching up weak spots in our lives. He will have nothing to do with self-help holy do-gooders. God wants more than that. What He wants us to do is to put on Christ and the robe of His righteousness and hunger for His holiness. He wants to exchange our filthy rags of self-righteousness for a spirit of holiness. So what we need to do is each and every day we need to surrender ourselves and we need to clothe ourselves. Let's say for a mo- imagine, imagine for a moment that this uh, suit coat of mine is Jesus Christ. What God wants us to do is not give up or try on our own, but what God wants us to do is to put on the righteousness that is Jesus and clothe ourselves in Christ and put on Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Abide in Him. Remain in me and I in you, and you will begin to bear much fruit. Friends, it's not about your striving. It's not about your effort. It's about surrendering to the righteousness of Christ clothing ourselves in His holiness. There's only one way for you and I to meet God's demand to be holy, and that is to submit. To submit means to surrender to the power of God. To surrender the power of your will to God's will. Are you doing that? Are you dying to your own will? Are you giving up your own rights and surrendering your life to God and say, my puny efforts can't do it. I can't meet this command of yours to be holy. Therefore, I surrender my all to you. Friends, hear this. You can never be clothed in Christ's holiness until you fall on your face before God's throne, naked, weak, poor, wretched, and totally helpless. You will never be holy until you can sing with Augustus Top Lady, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. But on we go, foolishly thinking that we can make ourselves acceptable to God. We can make ourselves holy enough and that God is pleased and and impressed by our efforts. We must come to that place where once and for all we, have, we admit to ourselves and to God that we have no power in us to resist sin, that we have nothing in us to offer to the Lord but a broken down, defeated, and helpless lump of clay. We must admit that we can't be holy even with God's help. We must be given holiness as a gift. 
We must, by faith, receive God's holiness. And the greatest gift that God can give you is your faith that He will give you, He will clothe you in His righteousness. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 61 declared, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, and my soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me, clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with robes of righteousness. That's what happens when you surrender your life to God and say, I can't do it. I, I'm not strong enough. I'm weak and frail and undone. Lord, clothe me in the righteousness of Jesus. And just as we receive the gift of salvation, so even in our sanctification, God says, here's the holiness of Christ. It's a gift to you. Friends, we are living in an unholy world. I don't need to convince you of that. We are living in a world that is hostile to people who are seeking to be holy like God is holy. All around us is godlessness, immorality, hard-heartedness, mockery of all that is pure and good and holy. And the challenge for you and me in this ungodly, immoral, corrupt world is how can we stand in this hour, what is our defense? How can we stay holy in such a wicked age? There's only one way. To surrender ourselves to God. Leonard Ravenhill was absolutely right when he wrote, The greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man or woman out of an unholy world and make that man holy and put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy in it. That's what God will do. Not through our own striving, not by growing your hair or cutting your hair or avoiding or, or, or through your own effort or quitting. God will make you holy. As you surrender, you give up your rights, you surrender your heart and your life, and you take by faith this gift of God's holiness and clothe yourself with Christ. And you do that not only today, but you do it tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday until the Lord takes you home and He makes you like Christ. Be holy, because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Would you stand together and let's pray.